Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Purpose University podcast, your source of inspiration as you seek to create your best life and be your most authentic self. I am your host, Dr. Eve, and I am so glad that you have decided to join me at this time. If this is your first time tuning in, I want to say thank you for checking out the show, and I certainly hope you'll come back for more. So without further ado, let's get into it. So I am so thrilled. I am here today with the Dr. Dinfina Davis, straight out of Louisiana, baby. What's up, girl? (laughs) I had to put that on there. I I lived in Hattiesburg, and I was down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi for about uh, four years or so. And so I learned to live in Louisiana. So it's so exciting that you're from there. Um, How's the weather? Right now, it is very nice. It's spring in New Orleans. It's something to see. It's festival time here, so we have a lot going on. Oh, yeah. Plenty of crawfish, too, right? Oh, yes. I'm going to give me some today, matter of fact. Look, I um, I miss that. I miss, they used to have the crawfish broils when I was in school down there. And uh-huh. it happened, you know, toward the end of the semester. And I was always looking forward to it. And now I'm like, can somebody find some crawfish? So, yeah, I, I miss the South. So, look, how, so uh, just thank you for coming to the show. Let me start with that. Thank you so much. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Oh, gosh. I really appreciate it. So welcome. I am. Um, you know, definitely love that you are first generation college graduate and you are a PhD like go yes. you. Um, what I want to know, and I'm sure those who are listening want to know, like, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What's your story? Well, my name, as you see in the introduction, my name is Delphine Davis. I am a first generation college graduate. My, I'm a, the daughter of, um, Army veteran and a hardworking mama. I have um, two siblings. I have a sister and a brother. And um, I feel like my family, my environment, my city has prepared me and propelled me to become the person that I am today. I am a proud graduate, high school graduate of Edna Carr Magnet School in New Orleans. It has been featured in Beyonce's videos and has been (laughs) everywhere. And that school in and of itself, um, I would say the education and foundation that was set from there prepared me for college and prepared me on a track that um, it, it has helped me to become successful. It's just, I feel very supported and I love where I'm from. Hmm, I love that. Where'd you go to college? Where'd you end up going to undergrad? Okay, so for undergrad, I went to Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Go Demons. And then for graduate school, I attended University of Holy Cross. Um, for my master's and for my doctorate. Nice, nice. So, out of curiosity, your parents didn't go to college. What provoked you to want to go to school? Oh, honey, um, that was the that was the rule. You either went to school or you went to work. Um, mm. so what happened was, I got interesting story. So I'm in high school, and I had not decided what I was going to do because again, no one knew how to apply for for school or do fast or anything. I happened to be working in the counselor's office and my counselor at the time, her name was Miss Lee. Miss Lee looked at me and she said, know what you gonna do after graduation? I said, Miss Lee, I don't know. She said, oh no, that's not gonna work. And so she told me to go into the drawer, pick out five applications. Child, I pick out five random applications. <laughs> five random applications. Honey, I think I had one for like FAMU. I had one for Magnese. I think I had one so like I don't even think I grabbed any that was in Louis like in New Orleans. Like I didn't grab Billy Baby, nothing. Just grab five out the drawer. So I go fill out the application. My cousin give me the money. 
for all of my cousin Cleveland. Gave me the money for all of my college applications. Huh. So I mail the things, think nothing about it. So we get close to the graduation, I get this letter in the mail. I received a leadership scholarship from Northwestern State University that, you know, that covered things for the first year. And I'm like, Northwestern and negative. So I try to find out, you know, how I even got nominated because I know I didn't apply. I didn't even apply to the university. Now, this is how crazy it was. Come to find out, Miss Lisa cared all of that. So she sent a group of students, application packets off and names, and I, I was one of the people that got a scholarship. That's how I ended up at Norway. Uh-huh. I really didn't have a plan. So again, intervention, somebody taking an interest and seeing that she needed some help, and, and that's how I ended up there. Mm, that is so important. Intervention. Uh, man, like a mentor. So was she then a mentor for you? Somebody you kept with, kept up with after you graduated or when you were gone, it was kind of like, oh, thank you, lady. <laughs> uh, no, it, was, it wasn't intentional. I tell you what happened. So I feel like for me in my life, I, I just have kind of just kind of asked God to guide me. You know, once I was introduced to um, spirituality and, and learning the value of praying, Mm. I just asked God for my life. I said, Lord, I don't have, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm here for. But I know you're God, and I trust that you know what's supposed to go on for me. And child, it's been a wild ride ever since. Believe me when I tell you. So even ending up at Carl was kind of a miracle. I went to McDonough 32 Elementary School. That, that, at the time, that was a school that was considered in a, a pretty bad neighborhood. But I tell you, some of the most amazing things come out of a project, come out of Mm. come out of some rough and so I had some of the best teachers and so when the students that scored high they made us take tests for schools like McMain which was a magnet school Carr which was a magnet school in 35 at the time which was another magnet school all these schools were college preparatory schools so they made us take these tests to see if we could get into those schools and I took all three tests I said Lord look I don't know if I'm getting any of these schools but you know, whatever you, wherever I'm supposed to go, let me go. And I got in the car. So throughout that time, again, you know, like my parents had never been a part of anything like where you would have to compete for things. Mm-hmm. Things were kind of mapped out. You know, you went to school here, you did this, you did that. So my parents were always, um, they were always encouraging. They never told me what not to do, but they were always a little nervous about the things I would try to do because I just tried things, you know. Mm-hmm. And so... I ended up going to the magnet school. I mean, ended up going to the magnet school, which was college preparatory, which helped me get into college. And to get back to Miss Lee, you know, I didn't really, I emailed Miss Lee after I graduated. She is still a counselor at at, at, at the party. And I emailed Miss Lee and I hadn't heard back from her. I just wanted to write her to let her know. But I think, you know, I'm going to pass up there one of these days and just um, holler at her and let her know how much she impacted my life because I don't think she realized how much she's impacted all of us. You know what I mean? Uh, life is not a journey that we take on our own as we're moving forward, especially as first-generation college graduates, right? Right. And I don't want people to feel like they, they always have to have a plan. Sometimes mm. you just don't have a You got to trust. You know what I mean? You got to trust mm. the process. You got to trust that the energy that you're giving out that it'll come back to you because you're doing the right thing, you know? Because uh-huh. I didn't start off with a plan. I didn't have a plan. I still don't have a plan. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? But um, I trust. So tell me, just out of curiosity, is has there been to you 
like challenges of navigating life as a first generation college graduate? Child every day. So, so what are those things to you? Yeah, what are those things? Well, the first thing is for me, the the first struggle is I don't have. Okay, I'm gonna say this, and I and I'm I'm a preface this statement, but I need people to listen to me. It's, it, it's situations. I have never had an African American mentor, mm. right? I had an African American person who has helped me on my journey to get to this point to encourage me in any way. Goodness, sorry. Wow. Yeah, that bothers me because I've reached out to upperly mobile African Americans who I thought, you know, because I was young, younger at the time, would be very interested and eager in helping a young person because they too were first generation, so on and so forth. And I've been met with quite a bit of resistance. Hmm. At first I thought it was because maybe I'm rough around the edges. Because as you can see, um, I speak my truth and I'm going to talk it and I walk it how I talk it. So you, what you see is what you get. This is how I must speak. This is how I engage. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear the yeah, baby. you get a what's up. You're going to hear the what's happening. It ain't, it ain't going away. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, at first, the struggle was, oh, I'm not polished enough. You know, people don't want to align themselves with me because I'm not polished. But I will tell you, through my dissertation process, I had my chair was Dr. Ted Rimmel. He is well known in our field and has written quite a bit of our ethics book. And he told me something that really recently just kind of changed my perspective on um, being polished. He said, Dimfina, if people don't like your attitude, that's their problem. You know? And hearing that from someone who is world-renowned and, and well-traveled and 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 would, would be considered an expert in our particular field, it meant so much. It, it, he said something to me that made me be able to walk in my authenticity and not be afraid of it because uh. I just struggle so much with well, I don't I don't speak how the places I'm going where I speak, you know, like I don't speak the way that the people speak in the places that I've been entering. Mm. And I don't, don't act to the way those people act. And I don't have nobody to teach me how to act that way. I don't have, I, you know, I always feel like, you know how they, they crack that joke in and fry the ham and no burger and, you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have that can't get right feeling. But, you know, the longer I live and the more I walk this journey, I, I, I've had to learn that I just have to be myself and who is drawn to me will be drawn to me and who is drawn away from me will be drawn away from me and all of that is okay. Mm. So then in your journey of being authentic, what does that end up looking like for you? Because a lot of times there's this, and you've been mentioning it, there's this duality of self. On the one hand, I'm supposed to be this professional person, but on the other hand, the who is still there. <laughs> and so, yeah, it ain't, ain't going nowhere. But it's because I was—I'll be kidding. You know, the part of the reason why I talk about authenticity in the work that I've been doing with first gens is that you've got to learn how to navigate and be comfortable being who you are. So, so if you were to give somebody advice on being authentic, what would your advice to them be? Well, it wouldn't necessarily be advice; it would be modeling because, mm. um. What I, I, my goal is to become what I didn't have. Mm. So, for the people that 
um, I mentor now and for the people who work with me. And when I see that they're having struggles with that cold switching thing or just having struggles learning how to navigate them, their that space and be themselves or even learning how to, to calm down, you know, and, and redirect their passion. Because sometimes people confuse our passion with aggression and, and it, it becomes a, a problem sometimes in the workplace. I begin to model the behavior, right? So mm-hmm. I try to show what I didn't see, you know, uh, and, and have those conversations with them in regards to now. You know, you probably should have said it like that, or you know, this is a better way to, to express yourself. So uh, when, I, when I'm in spaces with people and I, I'm comfortable enough in myself, or just somebody else crown and just kind of to, to you know help another queen out or all kings if they need the help and just kind of talk to them if they seem receptive i continue the conversation now don't get it twisted some people don't want you to tell them nothing because they think they know everything this is true so I, I respect it i respectfully decline let's just see you <laughs> but i will uh, i will extend my hand so <clears throat> it wouldn't really be advice it would be modeling i would i will show you and i'm open i feel like for me I want, I want whoever in my space or whoever see me via social media, via walking down the street, come talk to me. Now I say, believe me, I got time. You know what I mean? I got time. So how has the experience of not having mentors of color, black mentors at that, shaped how you then have become a mentor yourself? Well, it, it, it made me want to be one because... I'm not going to lie. I felt very hurt and isolated. This is an isolated job when you don't have people who you can talk to. Mm. Um, I can't I can't call my mom and say, Ma, you know, um, I'm in a business meeting. I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to negotiate the salary for this thing. Mm. What am I, what's the burden? What am I supposed to say? I can't call my mom and say, my mama going to say, well, baby, pray about it. And mm. Lord knows I do need that ain't what I need at the moment. I need <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Oh, you know, you know, I know I'm a pre, you know, and I'm, now I'm praying God to ask the question. So, you know what I mean? But, like, you know, at the end of the day, that that's basically what it becomes. You know, it basically becomes, it basically becomes me becoming what I didn't see, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just it. Filling in the gap. Absolutely. What would you say is the That's best it. advice that anybody's ever given you? The best advice I have ever received was to take a moment before you speak and to get your thoughts together before you open your mouth. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency sometimes to, to leap into things. I don't know if that's just a part of my personality or if it's a problem or if it's a plus. I haven't made up my mind about that yet. But that learning to take that pause was integral. Because now, especially as I'm getting older, that's what I do. Sometimes people come in my office and I know they're thinking, why is she looking at me like that? I'm looking because I'm trying to think of the right way to explain this to you. So I'm assessing the situation. I'm assessing your demeanor. I'm assessing what you said. Because whatever comes out of my mouth is going to have an effect on you. And I Mm -hmm. want it to be right. So taking that pause, that's the best advice I can give somebody. I don't care what's going on. Just take a second, gather yourself, assess the situation, and then do Take a pause. <laughs> I think about it all the time and say, you hot-headed. I'm not hot-headed. I'm just saying what I feel. My mama told me this people was on my mind. Yeah. And I mean, and I 
or issue with speaking what's on my mind, but I want every word that I speak to be intentional. Mm. And whatever point I want to get across, I want to make sure I'm saying it the way I meant it. Mm. So I'm going to take a second because I'm going to mean what I think. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I just need to make sure we all clip. Me included. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me something. Uh, what was life like for you after you graduated from college? Like right after you came out of undergrad with that fresh, hot printed degree in your hand? Like, yeah, the world is yours. And then the next day, the next week, <laughs> what happened next? Yeah, the next week I was at my mom's house. And I was looking in the time speaking room, looking for a job. Because, see, my undergraduate degree is in hospitality and tourism management. Nice. Now, I was, my teacher was to go to school for psychology, but I got into it with one of my professors. All the lady was going to fail, so I switched my major. That's like, right, keep it moving. So, I ended up getting a degree in hospitality and tourism management. At this particular point, I fell in love with the major, so I'm like, I'm going to work in a hotel. Of course, going back to New hospitality system, I should surely find a job at a hotel. Oh, yeah. Girl, at the Fairmont Hotel. At the time, it was the Fairmont. Now it's the Roosevelt. They changed the name. I walk in. I meet this dark-haired Caucasian man. This man interviews me. I don't know if I've done well. I leave the interview. I get a phone call. He said, well, you come in, start your job as an overnight front desk clerk. When I tell you that was the best job I ever had, I have had a job. Mm. Because it propelled me to what I'm doing now. Mm. Uh, this is a, this is. So I was sitting at the counter, and it just so happens that there was a concert in town, and Carl Thomas, you know, Mister Summer Rain, <laughs> he puts his head on the counter. He looks a little distressed, and you know, I'm not here to people, so I talk to anybody. I said, "What, well, sir? You look a little upset." We begin to chat. Um, he expresses himself. He says a few things. And at the end of our conversation, he said, man, he said, you probably will make a good therapist a little while. So I began to research. Now, mind you, no one ever told me that you could get a master's degree in anything. Mm. So I started asking questions because I'm like, well, I don't know if a degree in hospitality and tourism would transfer into a, a counseling degree, you know, or anything. So I call around, like, just talking to other people that graduated and one girl tells me definitely you might get a master's degree in anything like it, you don't have to have that degree just apply so lo and behold I applied for um University of Holy Cross and I get accepted as soon as I get accepted Katrina hit so mm-hmm. now we go I, I end up taking my first year at Lamar University and I ended up taking a job um, I ended up taking a job at a bank up there and going to school. And then as soon as I was able to come back home, I was readmitted in the Holy Cross, and that's where I finished. Hmm. Um, so I was up for about a year, and then I came back home after that. And so that's another thing, like just not having to have people to ask. It, I feel like exposure and knowledge is everything. And so I work with a, I work with young people now. I'm a school counselor right now, and so. That's my. That's one of my main focus. I try to expose the kids as much as I can. If it wasn't for the exposure and people having conversations, I wouldn't have known what to do. You know, mm-hmm. and it. Nobody just walks around telling you in general conversation you could get a master's degree in any in anything. Mm-hmm. Now that might be a general conversation in some people household, but that was not one in mine. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes, absolutely. 
That is really interesting because the conversation has to be had. I had the same experience when I'd gone to school, got my bachelor's degree, was getting it. I was like, oh, yeah, I've done it now. And then I had professors like, oh, no, there's more. <laughs> like, more? What you mean there's more? <laughs> but, you know, it's always a saving grace somehow, right? That leads us on the path that we're supposed to go. And you've been saying it. So I, I love that. Um, you mentioned Katrina. And when you said mm-hmm. something about Katrina, I thought to myself, wow, yeah, you did survive that. Um, that was almost yeah. 13 years ago. And that was a yeah. real big deal. Um, then it made me think about adversity. So was there a time mm-hmm. that you like to to share with us when you face adversity and how you overcome it? Well, recently, um, my, my grandmother passed. Um, oh, and uh, it was a big deal for me because I didn't realize how much I relied on her wisdom and comfort. And so during that time, I think, you know, I fell in depression and I didn't recognize it. And kind of took me being trusting of the people that surrounded me. So I am ever so grateful that I have people around me who care about me in a way that's non-judgmental. And so many people don't have that. So... During that particular time, I um I just wasn't myself. So things weren't necessarily going uh, well. I wasn't uh, applying myself in in the way that I needed to, and um just in, in my everyday life, mm. you can find purpose. Mm. And what happened was it, it brought me back to my youth. But that is the experience of losing my grandmother in the depression brought me back to where. I would have to sit on the floor and just kind of write the little one word that was positive to me or that was on my mind. And some, most of the time it would be the word love. And then while I would sit on the floor and I would write love, just love, just love. And I would write with that love. And as I made each L and I made each O and I made each V and I made each E, I would think about the expressions of love. Oh. And I, I swear. One day I was sitting on the floor doing my normal doing, just trying to center myself. And I heard Rosie say, why are you wasting yourself, girl? And I looked up, like, because it was almost like she was standing there. She was like, it, it, it was, it, I heard it so clear. She was like, why are you wasting yourself, girl? You know, why, why are you wasting yourself? And I began to have this conversation with my grandmother. And towards the end of the conversation, I felt so empowered and I realized as I looked down at the love that I was writing, I was making a heart. And so that's what it is. I felt like in those moments, I realized that it's my job to be the heart of a situation. Mm. And when you become the heart of a situation, you bring clarity, you bring peace, you bring suggestions. You become a problem solver when you become the heart of a situation, when you you think with your heart. You know, I have the addition of my brain power. I have the addition of my, you know, the knowledge that I've gained through education. But it's the heart of me that keeps all of this moving. And so I say that that was adversity to overcome because I had never been not myself. You know what I'm saying? It, mm-hmm. You know, the the strength of, of being resilient is, it, to me, is, is the essence of me wanting to fight. And, and just that experience, I didn't want to fight, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And so uh, overcoming the depression and, you know, just having the support of realizing love, you know, realizing who I was in the middle of that. And, and that's the adversity. Sometimes you have to go through the negative things to learn about yourself, but to also get clarity on your purpose. And sometimes it's only through adversity you get that clarity, mm. you know. If I wouldn't have had that experience, I don't. I don't even think I'd be as focused as I am on the on the projects and the things that I'm working on now. You know. So you yeah. spoke of projects that you're working on. Um, I'm curious to know what's next for you. Well, right now I am a part of a collaborative. The name of the collaborative is the Limitless Collaborative, and I am a part of this collaborative with two fabulous life coaches. One name is Mia, Mia Davis. She focuses on purpose. Purpose. She's a lady named Purpose that focuses on purpose. And the other lady's name is Lee Cedric. And she focuses on organizational skills. And my piece in the organization is, is life strategy. So basically what we do is we've put together a series of presentations that we'll be unveiling throughout the course of the year. The first one we did was chapter 2018, where we help people try to get their plans and the organization together for what they wanted to attack in the beginning of 2018. Hmm. We had a successful life of that. Um, in the next couple of speaker series, we'll kind of focus on where you like checking in from that original series. So we'll be checking in with the uh, people that came to attend that, and then we'll be expanding on that. Um, I spoke primarily about fear, and that um, fear is a lens that clouds our success. And sometimes we don't understand the strength in fear. That fear could actually be something that propels us into success. So huh. we allow fear being negative to cloud our judgment instead of using fear and fight or flight to propel us to success, right? Mm, absolutely. So, um, right, so I discussed about that and Nia spoke on how to structurally find your purpose through journaling and, and mapping things out. And Dee spoke about how to get your time management together because you can't do none of it if you're wasting your time. So we had that, and I have a couple of writing projects I'm working on. Um, just a couple of, well, the main focus I have is I'm, I'm working on a devotional right now, and just just some other research things that I'm working on that I, I'll keep, you know, pushing out throughout the course of the year. So that's what I have so far. Nice, nice, nice. We're on on the move, definitely on the move. Thank yep. um, so, you. are so very welcome. Um, as we're wrapping up, I, I have one more question. And that okay. question is, considering all that you shared today, because you have definitely dropped some jewels, sister. Um, what is the one piece of advice or just the one message that you want listeners to carry with them? Trust the question. I know it's cliche. Lord knows I know that's cliche. But I promise you, every good part of your journey, every bad part of your journey is definitely a necessary part of your journey. You know? And you gotta trust that what's in your gut is leading you to what you're ultimately supposed to be doing. Mm. And if I had anything else to tell people, it would be really watch who's pouring in and who's taking from you. You need to watch your circle and keep it small. You know? So that would be a piece of advice I would give people. 
Mm, I like that. That's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Where can we find you in the internet space? Because I'm sure there'll be some people who want to connect. So how can we connect with you? Okay, so if you're on Facebook, you can reach out to me. My page is Dr. Dymphana Davis. So that is D-Y-M-P-H-N-A Davis, D-A-V-I-S. Or you can reach out to me on D-D-E-E Davis, D-A-V-I-S-P-H-D. So we're definitely going to make sure that we link that information in the show notes. So Dr. Dymphana Davis, you have been a pleasure to connect with today to chat with um thank you for your insights and for sharing with us um so that we can continue to push forward on our journeys thank you so much thank you thank you i really appreciate it oh you are so welcome well we'll talk to you soon again i want to thank you for tuning in before you go just a few things to note uh first and foremost let's get connected on instagram and or linkedin you can find me at eve H-U-D-S-O-N-P-H-D on both social networks. Don't forget to head on over to check out my site at www.evehudsonphd.com. And if you should decide to purchase a book or apparel just for listening to this podcast, you get 10% off of your order. Just use the code podcast when you check out. Last but certainly not the least, In all that you do, remember to be resilient, authentic, and intentional. I'm out.